Hello and welcome to the BU Body Empowerment Unified Podcast. I'm Hannah, the president. And I'm Diana, the podcast producer, and we represent the Body Image and Eating Disorder Awareness Club, also known as BDAC. Started by high school students and centered in Los Angeles, California by BDAC, the Body Image and Eating Disorder Awareness Club. This podcast focuses on telling stories from those that have overcome eating disorders or have or are struggling with body image and self-love. Through this podcast, BDAC aims to spread positivity, kindness, share tips and tricks for different methods of self-care, and overall raise awareness about the importance of self-image and mental health. In today's episode, we will be discussing the importance of nutrition, intuitive eating, and healthy eating. We speak with Audrey Baxter, a registered dietitian, to go into depth on and also speak on the topics of health during the COVID-19 pandemic regarding eating disorders. In this episode, our topics discuss eating disorders as well as contain content for mature audiences. Listening discretion is advised. Nutrition defines an individual's diet pertaining to growth, metabolism, development, and the composition of the human body. Maintaining enough nutrients and a balanced diet is important for the body, but this can vary from person to person. The practice of food research can be dated back to 400 AD, specializing in exploring the uses of various effects of food and its impact on human health to working to identify and prevent nutrient deficiency diseases. Today, this job can be known as a registered dietitian or an RD. Not only do dietitians study nutrition science, but they also provide guidance with dietary and clinical management of chronic conditions, diseases, or disorders, help with meal planning and food service, as well as nutritional counseling and educational programs, all to promote healthy and safe eating habits. Nowadays, the need for dietitians in the United States has grown with the increase of unhealthy diets. The U.S. spends more on healthcare than an average economically developed country, yet has the lowest life expectancy and double the chronic disease burden and an obesity rate. According to the CDC, it was found that only 1 in 10 adults are eating the recommended dietary guidelines, where 12% meet the daily fruit intake and less than 10% meet the daily vegetable intake. Educational nutrition is crucial for children and teens to understand so that they may make better food decisions, learn how to prevent disease and illnesses, and establish lifelong health patterns towards adulthood. episode, we will be talking with Audrey Baxter, a holistic registered dietitian who specializes in implementing intuitive eating and fitness and is trained and certified to provide nutritional guidance within hospitals and within outpatient education. Audrey first began her journey at Michigan State University as a dietetics major and later completed her graduate credits and clinical rotations at Wayne State University. Currently, she is a two-year primary care officer sole dietitian and on the side is the independent business owner of Fituition Nutrition, a program she established to focus and discuss blended intuitive eating and performance nutrition. As a practicing dietitian in a pandemic and while trying to train for a half marathon, Audrey began to recognize her struggle with body dysmorphia and the eating disorder anorexia. 
Using her experience and knowledge, Audrey was able to influence the support of her business and clients, helping people and herself heal. In her free time, Audrey enjoys reading, creative writing and poetry, cooking, running, and hiking, as well as the curiosities of numerology, astrology, and spirituality. Through her career, Audrey is passionate about helping her clients meet their goals through focusing on nutrition, science, wellness, exercise, holistic medicine, and psychology. Today, Audrey and her business are located in Jackson, Michigan, where she lives with her two cats and plans to relaunch the rebranding of Fituition Nutrition on March 30th, 2022. In this episode, we sit down with Audrey to talk more about her career in health as a dietitian and business owner, discuss her opinions about the weight stigma and diet culture, along with her journey and rehabilitation process of having an ED during the pandemic. So we're going to begin the questions portion now. And our first question for you is, what is life as a holistic dietitian? And how did you know that you wanted to pursue this career in health? So dietitians are nutritionists, but nutritionists are not dietitians. Essentially, what that means is to be a dietitian, I have to go through an accredited program, clinical rotations, and I have to pass a board's exam. And I have to go through all of those hoops in order to become a registered dietitian. So it's a very protected credential, whereas nutritionist is not. So you can get like nutritionist certifications, but in most in most areas, it's it's not a protected title, whereas being a dietitian is. So that's a really good clarification to make. Nutritionists too can just specialize in healthy eating. Maybe they have like a keen interest in gut health, something like that. And that's like their little specialty that they've learned about on their own. Whereas a dietitian, we're pretty trained in food service, clinical management of chronic conditions. So like very sick people in the hospital or just your general um, outpatient education, nutritional counseling and ed things. What else do we do? community nutrition programs, um, and so forth. So we kind of all, we get trained very well. <laughs> so that's kind of the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian. So what would set me apart as a holistic dietitian would be, I play a very um, educational and empowerment role with my clients. So I get them very involved in their own health and healing journey. Additionally, I look at all encompassing of what health is. So I don't just focus on their food and what that would imply. I focus on their stress, their mental health, their physical health, but you know, exercise, how they're eating, um, lots of things. So I'm kind of looking at the person as a whole, whereas a dietitian, and it probably depends on where he or she is practicing or where they're practicing. Um, they might specialize in a clinical position, like inpatient people with cardiovascular disease or what have you. So I'm kind of taking, again, a more educational empowerment role with my clients and working with them and also integrating functional medicine in addition to clinical medicine and nutritional care. Mm, so you're like all in one. I'm all in one. It's a lot, but honestly, they, it all relates, you know? it all relates to each other. It's really hard to just look at one piece of someone's health without addressing other factors. So 
how did you know that you wanted to go into health from the start? How did you know that health was what you wanted? Huh. So I've always been interested in health. Um, I don't know. I was always like a science type girl in high school. I really loved all of my science classes. I liked all of my psychology classes. I loved math. Uh, so I've always like kind of been interested in like biochemistry, anatomy and physiology. I remember I loved my anatomy and physiology class in high school. So I actually started when I started college, I thought I was going to become a nurse. And that's what my mom was too. So I thought I was going to become a nurse. And then I realized all of the things I would have to do hands on with patients. So like dealing with wounds and like touching them. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't really, I don't really, I'm not into that. So honestly, I had like a semester of college where I was like, I know I want to go to school to do something in the healthcare field, but I have no idea what it is. So I went through a semester like that. And eventually what happened was I started having my own like gut health bowel issues. So I started having really bad irritable bowel syndrome um, symptoms. And it was really bad. Like I was very uncomfortable. I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't eat anything. It got to the point where my gut was so like mad at me that I would eat a carrot and it would flare. Seriously, it was so bad. And I got diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, which was nice to like have a diagnosis because that gives you some direction. But then when I asked the gastroenterologist, the GI doctor, you know, hey, like, what can I do every time I eat? I'm having issues. He was legit. Like, I'm not really sure. It's like, oh, cool. And that, that is what sparked my interest into nutrition. So I did my own research and dug into it and eventually actually healed my own gut and became symptomatic free. And that kind of inspired me to study dietetics and look into it. Oh, that's really interesting how you yeah. were inspired or not inspired, but you were pushed, you were propelled by your own issues to pursue it, this career. Yep. Yeah. And it also, I was really impressed at how uh, smart our bodies are, how adaptable they are and how they will heal themselves if you support them in the right way. And I wanted to help other people do that. So then I became a dietitian. Oh, wow. I think it's so cool that you wanted to be a nurse because my mom, she's actually a nurse and my sister is studying to be a nurse as well right now. And obviously, over the course of the pandemic and stuff, nurses had a lot to do with the pandemic. As a dietitian yourself, how did the pandemic affect your job as someone who has to give health advice, especially during a time where health was such a problem? Or And did you notice a great impact amongst your clients? Yes. So I have a, so something to make note of is I have a pretty rare role as a dietitian or rare job. So I work in a primary practice like family medicine under a couple of different doctors. We have a pretty large practice that's local. Excuse me. Um, so my job is very unique. So I work in what's called an outpatient setting. So patients come in and see me and I spend quite a bit of time with them, like anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. And we, they kind of come back to me for follow-up appointments and so forth. So I have a very rare role. That role is not very 
prevalent among dietitians. Most dietitians are in long-term care facilities or they're in uh, hospitals working in like an inpatient setting or even an outpatient setting, but more of like a rehabilitative uh, healthcare setting. So my role is very, very um, different. Or it, I wouldn't say different now, it's pretty rare though. So that's something that's important. So when the pandemic happened, all of my patients freaked out and canceled, obviously, because of like, oh, wow. and I had to bust my butt to make sure that I had a job and didn't get laid off. So that was like my personal experience with my job in the pandemic. Uh, thank goodness for like telemedicine and them extending payment, like insurance companies extending payment to telemedicine visits and recognizing that because that is kind of what saved my job. And I had to honestly, for like a couple months there, I had to like call people and like get them to come in with me, not come in, but like see me. So I had to work pretty hard when the pandemic first happened to like make sure I had a job. Um, but some things that you, you were asking about, um, how the pandemic influenced my clients too, right? Okay, yeah. so some trends that definitely took off through the pandemic was, one was like how we can provide really high quality medical care without patients coming in. So that was like something that I think was really great that came out of the pandemic. And that's really convenient for some clients and patients and even makes more sense depending on what they're seeing a practitioner for, whether that's like a simple med refill, just a checkup on like how they're doing or with me with, it's very easy for me to provide really good care through telemedicine visits. So I think that was something that came out of it and it allowed me to see clients at different times of the day that I normally wouldn't and so forth. So I feel like it, in that way, that was a really good thing that came out of it. Mental health was not doing so hot and people are definitely mm -hmm. still struggling. So that really influenced how I practice with clients because a lot of people that I see have an emotional eating influence in terms of how they're making food decisions. So if someone's mental health isn't great, it's definitely affecting the way they're taking care of themselves and how they're eating. And all of that is a big part of that. So I had a lot of people fall off. Um, I had a lot of people just really struggling with emotional eating, stress eating, eating out of boredom, things like that. A lot of people weren't exercising anymore because the gyms were closed. Um, and I live in Michigan. So through the winter months too, like a lot of people will go to like the mall and walk around or they'll go to the gym. And some people are scared to now, even after like the pandemic has, I don't, I don't want to say like run its course, but you know, we're at a much different place than we were a couple of years ago with it. Um, so I would say it definitely affected people's mental and physical health and people were struggling for sure. Lots of patients were struggling and fell off or needed more support from me. So you mentioned that a lot of your patients were struggling with emotional eating. And um, our next question for you is, what are your thoughts on the pressures of diet culture and weight and the weight stigma? Do you 
think that they had an effect on the emotional eating that your patients were suffering from. And do you think that there are any factors that drive the beauty and weight loss expectation? Okay, well, number one, weight stigma and diet culture are like best friends. Like they couldn't exist without each other. Let's be real. Uh, another thing is we are way too obsessed with weight as a society and it is not working. You know what I'm saying? Like people are getting sicker, their mental health is really suffering and it's just not a good approach. And I think one of the issues of that, so obviously, I mean, this is like a, I could probably talk about this forever. So I'm sorry if I'm a little long winded, but we have like the marketing, social media influence, right, of like what is beautiful. And then we also, on the other side, we have Western medicine that really pushes healthy weight and BMI and all of these things. So honestly, it we have so much influence that's communicating to us, like you need to be this certain size or look this certain way to be healthy and good. So we have a lot of like societal pressure, not even just, you know, in what we consume as consumers of social media and what have you, but also in, um, and when you go to the doctor, you get weighed and they talk about it. I remember um, personally, the first time I humiliated about my weight was at a pediatrician's office when I was like 16. Um, I think he told me like, I don't remember word for word, but he was like, yeah, your weight's ticking up really fast. And I'm like a pubescent in puberty, like a, like a girl in puberty. So, I mean, that, that's a, that's a very early exposure to like diet culture and weight stigma and just that, those complex things. In addition, a lot of people, especially clients I work with have influenced through their parents or their grandparents and even if their parents or grandparents or what have you are trying to be really careful and not like speak about themselves in a way to like make that pressure um, prevalent, even, kids are very in tune with how parents are taking care of themselves. So that's another thing too, is if you have parents that kind of struggle with these things or important people in your life that have a big role in your life, that's going to influence you too. So I think it's important to acknowledge all of the pressures we have and what all the angles are coming from. So that's something to consider. That was a really great response. And I feel, I feel very like informed and I totally agree. Like yes. so many adults in your life can have impacts on your perception. So you asked the question, um, how does this influence people? And what I commonly see is people become very like ashamed of what they look like. And, you know, as a, as a species, we survive with one another. So it's really important for us to be like accepted, right. By each other on some level. And I think that is why, you know, shaming people about their weight or saying there's an issue with it, it hits like it's such a core place of us and makes us freak out or want to be better and what have you. So I think part of, you know, why we care so much is because, you know, we want to be accepted by one another and we also want to feel confident and beautiful or accept ourselves. And, 
you know, we would be lying to ourselves if we said it didn't really matter what other people think about us. Like definitely there's some truth to that, but as like a species, we need each other to survive. So I think that's a reason why this is so impactful um, when we get shamed or criticized or we're sent certain types of messaging. And what that causes is we start disconnecting from our bodies and trying to do things to manipulate our shape. So that's when we start ignoring hunger cues, um, hurting ourselves, binge eating, you know, doing all of these things to try to manipulate our shape. And what diet culture does a really good job of is they do a really good job of selling you really quick fixes. So you get sold this. Well, first they like do a good job of convincing you. This is all you need is this app that will tell you everything that you won't need to do. So they're really good at selling you like a, a very nice laid out plan to get you the result you want, a pill, you know, like something super duper easy that's going to get you to where you want to be so you can be accepted and your doctor can stop harping you and everything will be okay, right? Um, so they're really good at doing that. And oftentimes these like programs or pills or what have you, they really disconnect us from our bodies and that's where I think the trouble gets in and that's how we get in this cycle of losing weight really fast on like some type of a program or product and then we gain it right back because honestly a lot of this stuff is not meant to be sustainable so you have success because they want frequent customers to come back right like how are they going to make money if you actually achieve like what you're supposed to they're not going to make money I think the statistic is um 95% of people gain weight back that they lost on diets and actually 67% of those 95% of people. So two thirds of the people that diet end up getting more weight back than they started with. So, and the issue is because of weight stigma, typically this, now I don't want to say this only affects, but this definitely affects larger people, people with thicker frames, people that are just bigger, um, so yeah, you know, it really influences people in terms of like how they're taking care of themselves, how they're connected to their bodies, in addition to their self-worth, their self-esteem and their mental health too. So it, it not only is affecting their physical health, it's really affecting their mental health as well, so. So speaking of mental health, why do you think someone might abstain from eating or increase their eating when they are under stress? So if you are a stress non-eater is what I call it. So something that happens when the body is stressed is some people's bodies produce more stomach acid. So that's something that happens. That's why we can feel nauseous when we're like upset or going through a hard time. That's going to make you not eat. I mean, I don't know who eats when they're nauseous. Food is like disgusting when you're nauseous, right? So that's something that happens. In addition, if you're in like a stressful, hyper state, you are extremely distracted, right? So you're distracted with work. You've had a stressful day. Your mind is going a mile a minute and you're all up here. You're not in your body. So you're not connected to those hunger cues at all. Um, so that is also what happens with distracted, like um, people that are really distracted, have very stressful jobs, 
or they're just in general stressed out or they're going through like an emotionally tough time and it's like you know their body's physically taking a toll and getting a little nauseous and things so that that can be what happens with stress non-eaters and then people that eat out of comfort are mainly the people that eat when stress happens so sometimes they're so distracted that they just like um well eating okay so when we eat the brain the brain likes when we eat so we have all these pleasure centers that light up and we're nourishing our bodies and it feels good what have you so that's part of the reason why people might eat out of like comfort or boredom or what have you um is because they're see they have an emotion and they're seeking food to make themselves feel better in some way. And some people that do this too, it stems from childhood. So if some people have had very traumatic childhoods or like bad things have happened, excuse me, they might eat to make themselves feel better because as a kid, that's something you have access to, right? Is food. So if you grow up in a very chaotic home that's something that can bring you peace and comfort in a very chaotic environment. So some of these like behaviors we have of coping with food can start at a really, really young age. Do you have like any explanation why people have a hard time recognizing their changing eating habits or why it's so difficult for them to see it? Well, without awareness, you're not gonna be able to change anything. So like number one, if you're not aware that this is a pattern, you're, you're not gonna be able to change anything, right? Because if we're not aware, we don't really know that we're in a cycle, we don't know if something's wrong, we, don't, we just simply don't know. And to be honest, some people's lives are very chaotic and they don't maybe even have the time to like mindfully assess their behaviors involving their self-care and nutrition. So that's something to make note of. Um, so I would say awareness is probably number one. And another issue is that if you, well, I think also, you know, diet culture plays a big part in this because they do a really good job marketing. So they do a really good job connecting with you in terms of any behaviors you're doing that are wrong. And they do a really good job convincing you that it's your fault versus um, giving you awareness and edu quality education so you can you know, connect back to your body and make a change. So I think that's an issue is we've got diet culture, you know, having an influence here and manipulating people. And then you add weight stigma onto that. Those are two issues. But I also think if people try to look things up on their own, it's really hard to find like good information out there that's credible. And that also doesn't shame people about their weight. It's really, I mean, even all of the medical advice out there, there's a big weight stigma lens. And if we took that off and we stopped talking about health like that, I think we would be able to really help people. But um yeah, I think it's awareness, weight stigma, diet culture, and Western medicine also being obsessed with weight. I think those are all part of the issues of why it's hard to recognize things. So how can you introduce like intuitive eating or any like ways to change their unhealthy habits um, to your clients or to anyone who struggles with an eating disorder? 
Yeah, so I meet clients where they're at. <laughs> so taking away things from certain people who have like, okay, so we can talk about like someone who obsessively tracks their food. Uh, that would be disordered eating, especially if you like can't live without tracking every single calorie um, or you're weighing your food. So I have to meet clients where they're at and like slowly pull them away from these things and give them other ways to um, maybe monitor what they're eating without it being like obsessive. So I really meet them where they're at. Some people are ready to dive right into like their relationship with food and their body and exercise too. Um, some people really want to focus on their food. So we talk about maybe food journaling or so it, it, it really just depends on the person and where they're at and how ready they are to. Some clients are totally ready to like give up everything and totally embrace like a new approach. Other people are really scared. And they feel like they're losing a lot of control if they're doing something different. So it, it just really depends on where they're at. Um, yeah, depends on where they're at. As a nutritionist who has had an experience with an ED, how do you use your past to help your clients? So um, I feel like I have to talk about like my journey a little bit. So I did not know I had an eating disorder for like years, to be honest, because that honestly, that's how normalized disordered eating is. And the way we talk about our bodies is just body dysmorphia is extremely common. Disordered eating is very common and eating disorders are a lot more common um, than we think, which is sad, but we can change that. So I didn't know I had one throughout college. And I think I have, um, I have personally like perfectionist tendencies and I want to do everything right. And that leaked into how I was eating. Um, so I didn't really notice that I had an issue with food until how old was I? Gosh, it was during like the first year of the pandemic, which was what, 2019? I think in 2019, what, or yeah, 2019, 2020 was when I discovered I had an issue. And what made me realize that was I was running um, recreationally because during COVID the gyms were closed. So I was like, okay, well I need to move cause I'm going crazy. So I started long distance running and my appetite like popped off the charts because I'm working out so much. And I realized I had a lot of issues eating more. And that kind of tuned me into the fact that I had an eating disorder. Um, and just that like awareness that I had like fell into this cascade of like all of these realizations of how I was treating food in my body and all the rules I had, all the things that were off limits, the weight goal that I had. It just made me really realize that what I was doing was like dysmorphia. So that kicked it off. Um, and that really influenced my practice. So I was like healing my own, like I technically had anorexia. So I was like healing my own anorexia and body dysmorphia while practicing. Um, and it was really hard. I'm not gonna lie, it was hard, especially when I'm having a hard time with things that my patients are describing. And I feel like 
I almost felt like, what do they call it? Imposter syndrome. Or I felt like a fake because like I'm struggling with things and I may not be following my own advice, even though I know my own advice is correct, if that makes any sense. So, um, it was, it was hard, but it was, I'm so thankful for the realization and my own struggles because it, I'm able to really see where my patients are coming from. Um, and also I think, you know, I've done some, um, continuing ed in intuitive eating and, but I think my personal experience has really tuned me in to how things can manifest. And I usually just tell my clients straight up, like if I notice certain talk that they're having, I just pull it right out and present it back to them. I'm not like rude. I just say, oh, you know, when you talk about this, it, it, da, 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 da. So, you know, um, I think my personal experience has greatly influenced my practice. It's allowing me to come from a very empathetic and compassionate place. And it's allowing me to look at health without like a weight stigma lens. And that has allowed me to make such a bigger difference in my clients and how I care for them and how I help them care for themselves. So I'm really thankful for the experience, but it was definitely hard. So throughout your career as a nutritionist, you've created a program called Fituition Nutrition. Could you tell us a little bit more about what this program is and what your hopes are for the program in the future, especially with its new rebranding? Yes. So when I launched Fit Tuition Nutrition, I was definitely still recovering from disordered eating and body dysmorphia. And I was very passionate about fitness. I still am. I love fitness. But anyways, um, I felt like the fitness industry, like the weight weightlifting industry, whatever, really needed practitioners that had intuitive eating lenses and non-weight focused practices. I think that was a huge need. I mean, if you look up, you know, how to gain more muscle, macro counting comes up, weight loss comes up, fat loss, all of this stuff. So I blended fitness and intuitive eating together and hence the name Fit Tuition Nutrition. Um, and I launched that and that was awesome. I, I loved it. And I also loved working with people that were active or wanted to be active. And I also loved working with people that were okay, not having weight be the focus of like their health healing journey. That was awesome. Cause a lot of the, a lot of people I work with, it's still on the front. It's still like something in their mind. And you know, how can it not be with all the influence that we have about that, but they were willing to try something else and kind of just make it less important for now. So that was really cool. Um, I had to take a break from my business because my mental health got really bad um, because of some family things and what have you. So I had to take a break. I didn't want to, I felt like a failure for sure. Felt like a failure. Um, I'm not though. So I took a quite a long break and I recently have come back for some months now and I love having my own practice too. It's just really fun to be creative and kind of do whatever I want. Um, so I definitely love being a business owner, but I am rebranding and relaunching my business to have more of a holistic health focus. So Fit Tuition Nutrition will not be like 
my main focus anymore. And I'm actually changing my business name too. I'm going to keep the name because I think it's going to be a really good like program or course that I could um, standardize. But I am like shifting my focus a little bit, but it'll still have a holistic health, intuitive eating, you know, vibe, we'll say. So those are my plans. It's actually to kind of like turn in a different direction. <laughs> so your business sounds amazing. Thank it's you. It's so inspiring to know that you're doing all these things and you are helping with uh, your community and your clients. Thank you. I appreciate that. Would you like to talk about what your recovery process was like, what you kind of did, hobbies, or like even who helped you recover? Yeah. So, um, I gotta think about this. I honestly, I follow a lot of, uh, like really good social media accounts about like body acceptance, body empowerment, um, body neutrality, intuitive eating. So I like was able to really cultivate my social media in a way that I was following a lot of like positive things or just like thinking about myself, like wanting to go in that direction. So that was definitely one thing that I did. Um, another thing was giving myself permission to eat more stuff and communicating back with my body. So I really didn't have support in the sense of like working with a dietitian or working with X, Y, and Z. I would say my family and my close friends were really supportive to me as well as my therapist. Um, so I would say that was maybe some more outside support I had, but I definitely did a lot of it on my own. I think me having a nutrition background makes it easy if that makes sense. Like I already know a lot about nutrition and I know a lot about the human body. So I think to that extent, maybe that's why I didn't need a dietitian, not that dietitian with an eating disorder wouldn't benefit from having one, but I didn't really need help in that arena. I needed help more in like my mental space and um, my self-confidence was like really what I needed assistance with. Um, I think the hardest part about recovery was breaking the food rules. That was, that was hard. Um, especially when so many things are off limits and the really scary part it, cause I think I was a little bit more brave with the food piece. What was really challenging was my body changing. That was hard. So growing out of clothes, I think I went up six sizes in my pants at the end of it. So just imagine like your weight shifting that much. It's very triggering. Um, so I felt really triggered when my body was shifting a lot. And that made me want to like go back to tracking my food or restricting or following the food rules again. Um, so that was really hard. I think something that helped with that was having, I would literally call it like my eating disorder voice. I'd say, oh my God, my eating disorder voice is really being loud right now. And, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that people with emotional eating, people with, um, with a history of eating disorders, we might always have these thoughts because they were habitual patterns that we partook in for a long time. And they may be there for something deeper than 
I want to be thin. You know, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to feel beautiful. So there were a lot of reasons that drove me to the point of anorexia and body dysmorphia. Um, so the thoughts might always be there and they might flare up. But the difference is, is not doing something about it. So just because I wanted to track my food and I felt like that would give me some form of control didn't, didn't mean that I had to do it. Um, so that really makes the difference is forgiving myself when I did, you know, actually start tracking my food or started acting a certain type of way. And then, um, you know, recognizing how strong I am in those moments, but also in the moments where I don't act on the thoughts. So I would say that the hardest part about recovery is definitely the body changes and that being really triggering. And then also like, I didn't really have this happen to me, but I know sometimes people will say things too, um, like make comments about your body or make comments about your food or whatever that can be triggering. Um, so I would say, but for me personally, the body changes were really hard. And my advice to anyone struggling with that is lean on your friends and your family and who loves you and your therapist or whatever your support team is, but also wear comfortable clothing, please like get clothes that are comfortable, wear clothing that's comfortable and size up and you know, you're going to feel and also look, but definitely feel much better in clothes that fit you well and not in clothes that don't fit you well. So, um, yeah, I would say the hardest part was the body changes for sure. That definitely sounds really difficult to have gone through, but I'm really glad that you're talking about it and being more open about it so that other people are able to relate and find some some type of way to overcome their struggles as well mm -hmm. and we also noticed that you had your own like support group on your Facebook account yeah 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 I have a um a Facebook group that's free it's private but it is free I post um free information on there all the time it's intuitive eating and fitness um that's really nice. It's just another little space for people who um, really value my content and things that I put out in the world. They typically get first access to anything I offer or put out um, or host. So they get first access for those things. And also it's just nice to have like a little community. I think community is so powerful in terms of healing and um, even recovering from things like eating disorders or disordered eating or um, to serve as a place of encouragement, to serve as a place of I'm not alone. I think community is huge. Um, I couldn't have done all the things I've done in my life without community. So I love having a little private community. I will be making changes to it because I'm rebranding. Um, doesn't mean I'm not going to talk about fitness though and fueling and all of that stuff. So I'll still be talking about those things, but I do have a nice free little community space and I love it. I'm so excited for what you do with your space. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I'm relaunching everything at the um, end of March. So March 30th is when everything's going to convert. And I'm kind of just doing stuff up until that point to get it ready to convert that day. But I'm super excited. And I will be converting on while I'm on vacation, which is probably going to be really nice. <laughs>
not in the middle of like a busy work week. So I hope you can enjoy your vacation as well. I will for sure. So with this awesome rebranding you have going on and your past experiences with eating disorders and your job as a holistic nutritionist, what would you say health means to you? Oh my gosh. I think health is unique, um, authentic. I think health is empowering. Um, what else do I think health is? This is such a good question. I was like, Oh God, let me think. Definitely authentic, unique, empowering. And um, I don't know, it's wealth, right? Like if our health is suffering, I mean, we're suffering as an individual. It, it, it makes it harder to do life things, right? If we're stressed, if our health is poor, like a lot of inflammation, chronic conditions. So, you know, I think health and our bodies are vessels for us to do amazing things with our lives and health is important for that reason it's it's empowering and it allows you to participate in the world but well and not but but and it's extremely unique and authentic to each person so and i think that in of itself is very empowering I love that uh, you have your own creative personal view on what health is. But our last question for you is, do you have any advice for listeners who want to know more about their health or to try out intuitive eating but don't know where to start? So the best place to start if you're into it is to read the intuitive eating book by Evelyn like Evelyn Trobe or Tribe. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I butchered that. But yeah, read, definitely read the intuitive eating book. Um, there's a book called The Effort Diet. There's tons of really great books on intuitive eating and diet culture and even weight stigma and um, how part of it is rooted in racism. Also about like, you know, how outdated the BMI scale is. So I would say if you're into that, if you're like a brainiac like that, definitely read that literature. Otherwise, there's tons of information on YouTube from really awesome practitioners. The my biggest advice is if you're looking to personally dive into it or just feel better about yourself, cultivate your social media feed, you know, restrict or limit voices and unfollow accounts that do not make you feel better and kind of suck you back into that way of thinking. And that's the cool thing about social media is it does allow us to connect and exposes us to a lot of information. And we can, we have somewhat some control over that information that we see to a certain extent. Um, so I would say that is a really big piece in people that are trying to dive into it, embrace their health uniquely, um, and learn about intuitive eating and body empowerment, or at least, you know, body neutrality is a really good place to start if you're not really ready to be positive about your body. Body neutrality is a great place to start. So yeah, and you can follow me. So <laughs> follow me or join my group on Facebook. But yeah, those would be some really awesome places to start. Self-promotion is never a bad thing. 
It's definitely not. Not when it's coming from someone who's really passionate about helping others. <laughs> of course, of course. It's so nice seeing you so excited about your topic. And I think it's just amazing to hear. Um, I, I love how you said specifically, embrace your health uniquely. I mean, yeah. it's so important for all of us to have such different bodies, but really like we are in, in a way we're all still connected and we can like share this advice and help each other no matter yeah. our differences. Yeah. Health is awesome and unique and it also changes and it's good to be flexible mm -hmm. and be really connected to yourself on what's feeling good, you know? Um, and it's definitely important for you to follow practitioners or advice that support that ideology so yes it is unique there's not one size fit all i don't if if i had like a nice answer that was a one sentence of like what would cure everyone that would be great but it's just not that way <laughs> yeah definitely it's everyone's own journey and yeah. we're so glad that you're able to share your story with us i think of all of our listeners can really take it to heart and of course, even I, I got so much advice from you here. I think I could really connect with your story. And you've been just talking about how, about being aware of your body and just really acknowledging your habits. I think that was so important. I just want to applaud you for coming so far and becoming an independent business owner. That is so amazing. And it's just like Rachel said too, it's, it, it truly is inspirational and um, nice. so glad. Um, to see you and uh, um, how far you take your business in the future. Thank you. I'm so excited, especially for the rebranding and relaunch. It just feels very aligned. It feels very me. And I'm super excited to embrace like that new business model and role. So yay. And I'm glad the uh, story resonates and provided some advice and makes people feel like they freaking got this, like whatever it is. This episode was brought to you by BDAC and produced by Diana Shadeva and Hannah Kwok. We'd like to thank our guest speaker, Audrey Baxter, for sharing her story with us, as well as hosts Rachel Chen and Sarah Wu. We hope you enjoyed this special episode and can't wait for you to listen to more. Don't forget to follow us at TCHS BDAC. That's BDAC spelled B-I-E-D-A-C on Instagram, where you can view our club activities, posts, and contact information. If you would like to be featured in a future episode, please reach out to us through our email, bdacclub at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and don't forget to be you.